Well, hey, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of The Boundless Show. This is Lisa Anderson here with you. And later on for our inbox, we have a listener who's now in his mid-30s and is feeling pretty discouraged because he's struggling to find a wife and wants to know, is there still even hope for him in this pursuit? Well, one of our counselors is going to share some thoughts on that. And then for our culture segment, Dr. Bob Paul is the leader of Focus on the Family's Hope Restored program which is designed to help couples who are on the brink of divorce. But I actually went and attended a week of this and found some great learnings for those of us who aren't married. And so you're going to hear part one this week of my discussion with him on keys really to a successful marriage and not just marriage, but all of your relationships. So you're definitely going to want to tune in. Well, here we are for our roundtable and, uh, We thought we would have a fun conversation around kind of questions about God for God, like when you're just pondering life, (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) like for those of us that are contemplative, and you're just thinking like, man, what are those big questions? Or sometimes people ask like, you know, when you see Jesus or when you see God, what are you going to ask him? Or what are the things that you wrestle with now? These are some of those questions that we're going to talk about. And so Katie, Chris, and John are here. Hey, everyone. Hi. Hello. Hello, hello. So, um, and because we are airing this like not far before Halloween, I kind of gave them a hard time and said I was going to ask them all their you know, to define Satan, but uh, (laughs) we're not going to, we're going to let him off the hook (laughs) this week and not get, not get into that. Uh, Not that we haven't talked about that on the Boundless Show in the past, but um, I thought it would be fun to kind of get into uh, some of our questions, how this plays out in our lives and what we kind of uh, think through when we kind of go to some of these places. And so um, let's kind of dial it back a little bit and think, I mean, I think it's very easy for us to kind of go back to our childhoods and think of the questions we had, because one, when you're a kid, you love to ask questions. I feel like as adults, yeah. we get less prone to ask questions. We don't yeah. want to look stupid. We don't want to be at church and like, people are like, that's in the Bible. Why don't you just read the Bible? <laughs> Whatever. But, um, what would you say? Like, what were some of your big God questions as a kid, or if you would have been able to talk to God in, you know? dial them up well i didn't have any super serious questions when i was uh-huh. younger uh, i was talking with the guys about this not literally yesterday um in you know talking about like the questions i was like i don't even remember any questions that i asked when i was a kid mm-hmm. so i texted my mom and i was like okay what do you remember what questions that i asked and she was like oh you didn't really ask a lot of questions but i vividly remember you asking me one and i was like well what was it and um, for context, I was a super picky eater when I was a kid. Hmm. <laughs> and there was a six-month period where I only ate, like, chicken nuggets and french fries. Hmm. <laughs> so my mom, trying to get me to eat something else, was like, why can't you just eat other food? And I responded with, well, why did God create chicken nuggets if he didn't intend for me to eat them? <laughs> okay. That sounds moderately belligerent. Yeah. Okay. But... <laughs> it does. So that's the only okay. question that I can really remember as a kid. <laughs> okay. Well... Did you feel like you got your answer or she was just like, whatever? She no, threw up her just, hands. You know, I ate chicken nuggets and french fries for a very long time. <laughs> okay. So. That's a bold question. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. How I about mean, you, Chris? All of mine were dinosaur related. Oh, I, I okay. was the dinosaur kid when I was younger. I could, even now when I'm watching the newer Jurassic movies, I can name every single one. It was like, are there going to be dinosaurs in heaven? Can I see the dinosaurs when they existed? Just 
any and all things that you could relate to a giant reptile. I was on it and asking about it. Okay. <laughs> wow, that's pretty good. I mean, that that is, uh, there are a lot of questions that you mm-hmm. can ask. Definitely. Around dinosaurs. Okay, John? I remembered today that even from a young age, mine was actually pretty much always centered around calling. God, what have you called me to do? And now that I'm 28, in some ways I'm still asking that question. (laughs) Uh I feel like that's one that almost never ends, (laughs) no matter what age you are. But that was kind of a regular topic of conversation in our home is whatever God's calling you to do, do it with all your heart. And that was something I would ask God pretty regularly. What are you calling me to do? And now I'm realizing that it's important to be on top of that for whatever season you're in. Mm-hmm. It's not yeah. just, yeah. it's not as much one gigantic career path that maybe you do your entire life, but it's more of, okay, how do I take advantage of the season I'm in now? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. So, yeah, I think that is one of those things. It's, it's kind of like when you talk about calling or what is God's will for my life, you know, it's, it's not anything because of changing seasons of life and all that kind of stuff that you can just get a definitive answer to yeah. and be yeah. like, okay, check it off, you know, the yeah. list and, and whatever. Um, so do you feel like, I mean, just taking that question in particular, do you guys feel like that's something that comes up a lot or what aspects of wondering God's purpose for your life do you think through the most? Yeah, a hundred percent. It's, <laughs> Yeah, it's that was that's my biggest modern question today is uh, and I, I've I've heard it put in a very good way that you are not powerful enough to mess up God's plan for your life. But a lot of like predestination versus free will is a lot of the stuff that I think through and it's with that performance based stuff again that I'm I'm always curious if I'm doing what I need to be doing and Again, how much is too much rest and how much is too much work, ultimately. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. I've definitely struggled with that question a ton, mm-hmm. especially since I'm in – it's a transition period of my life where I'm questioning everything. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, um, it's really – to kind of go further with the question, it's like, what is my purpose? Mm-hmm. Why am I here? Mm-hmm. What? Why are you – why did you put me in this one place for this one stretch of time? Mm-hmm. Um, and I struggle with that a lot, um, especially in recent months since I graduated from college and now working and a lot of things have changed and there's so many things that I want to do. Is that a part of my purpose? Are these things that I want to do a part of God's plan for my life? And I really like what you said about how you can't mess up God's plan for your life in the end. Mm -hmm. There's nothing so big that you can do, but I'm very impatient and I want to know what my purpose is. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's definitely a question that I've. Um, been asking a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And I I do think that Jonah and the whale is a great illustration of not being able to get around God's plan for your life, that Mm -hmm. (laughs) he he will cause the circumstances to make you do basically what you need to do, which Mm -hmm. is just cool scripture to turn to. Yeah. Regarding calling, I definitely used to consider that if you were doing your calling, then you were a best-selling author or Mm -hmm. you had 10 million likes on Facebook or you were the most famous Christian on TV. Mm-hmm. Now, more and more, I just say, God, help me to be faithful with what you've given me mm-hmm. because yeah. I'm less and less impressed now with fame or notoriety or people who've been, quote, successful in their field. Mm-hmm. And I'm much more impressed with people who maybe we don't even know their names now, but their reward is going to be great in heaven because they're serving God faithfully with what he's given them. And I just love to see people who are running the race well. So Mm -hmm. when it comes to calling, 
I feel like that's more of what I wrestle with is like, God, just help me to be faithful. Yeah. Mm -hmm. with... Yeah. Do you guys feel like, I mean, I, I think there are different camps of where like we err on one side of two extremes. It seems that some people make God so big and so, you know, unapproachable in so many mm -hmm. things that they're just like, well, forget it. I'm not even going to bother asking because I don't know. Yeah. He's not going to talk to me. He's not going to tell me or whatever. And so it just becomes God becomes this super vague being that's out there or in the opposite mm -hmm. extreme. Everyone get in, a lot of people get into this um you know, God is my buddy kind of mindset yeah, of yeah. like, well, why isn't he telling me everything? Don't we, yeah. aren't we just supposed to talk about stuff and be, you know, and they kind of displace God from his godness. Yeah. And so yeah. do you have, I mean, as you're having conversations with friends just about how do you approach God? What's your, how do you trust God while still having him be an integral part of your life and someone that you can express doubts to and kind of be real with? Yeah. The it really comes down to faith, I feel, and just really letting God be your provider uh, again. That like if you have those doubts, bring them to Him because so often like you'll get turned to Scripture and other things that show you just exactly like the reason I was talking about Jonah and the whales the other day. I was struggling with something and again prayed and that was the first thing that came to my head was Jonah. And I was like, Oh, I've not read that since I was like four and out of uh, anything except in the children's Bible stories book. Mm -hmm. So I was like, I get to read the adult Bible version of it now. And it was super cool. But um, again, it was just, it was really cool to see that he was kind of rebelling against God the entire time. It was like angry at like, like, why did you still take mercy on Nineveh? Like, this is what I knew was going to happen. And then like, God just basically tells him like, I appreciate that you did what you needed to do. And mm -hmm. yeah, it's, it, it was his faith that ultimately brought him through. Hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think looking back at the life of Jesus, I mean, Jesus was God in the flesh. Mm -hmm. What more approachable way to be an approachable God than to literally come down from heaven as a baby and be a man. Amen. Mm -hmm. yeah. But yet at the same time, it's very clear that he maintained his divinity. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I'm getting, because I'm reading through the gospels right now, is Jesus never turned away a person who was humble and honest mm -hmm. before him. Mm -hmm. Wow. He was very gentle with those who were honest about where they were. I'm thinking of the man who had leprosy, who said, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And Jesus did not turn him away. He said, I am willing to be clean. Mm -hmm. But it was the people who thought they knew too much, the Pharisees, that yeah. he had the most trouble with yeah. because they had all this head knowledge, but at the same time, they weren't willing to come to Jesus for who he was. Mm -hmm. So I look back on the original example of him as a way to kind of balance holiness and approachability. Yeah, that's yeah. good. I like that you said that because mm -hmm. I was talking with a friend a couple months ago, and she was talking about how when she prayed, she would always say, your will be done, mm -hmm. which is good. But the way that she was thinking was that um, she didn't, need to ask for what she wanted mm -hmm. or what she thought she needed or whatever. Like she thought that, you know, in the end, God's will is going to be done. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I'm just going to pray that, which yes, it's good that God's will is going to be done, but you don't have to be afraid to talk to him about what you want and what you're feeling because I mean, he promises that he'll listen. Mm -hmm. He is such an approachable God. And I've been on that extreme of, oh, he's so big. He doesn't have time for me. Like, I don't need to go with him with my problems. He wants us to come to him with his, with our problems. Mm -hmm. And so I, I love how you said that because he is approachable, but mm -hmm. he still maintained his divinity. Amen. Yeah. 
One thing I've always um, thought of and kind of questioned in looking through Scripture is, you know, there are a number of there are things in Scripture we know that are just absolutes, but there are things that God has left a little bit, you know, shady or, you know, we see a lot of differences, whether it's in different denominations yeah. or people mm -hmm. that are arguing over interpretations of stuff. And I've often wondered, like, why didn't God just like spell that out and yeah, make it clear right. yeah. so that we don't have to spend our whole lives bickering over random things about yeah. how to baptize people or how to be, you know, like whether it is, you know, what is, is it six literal days of creation or do we go with intelligent design and stuff? Yeah. And yeah. how do you yeah. guys, I mean, how can you rightfully just kind of explore those things and form opinions because the scripture says you know that we are to care about doctrine to watch mm -hmm. our life and our doctrine closely and not just be like whatever and not mm -hmm. even care or not even <laughs> study but how do you put that in right perspective and still focus on the main things in your faith instead of getting caught up in as also scripture says you know foolish arguments and yeah. all kinds yeah. of other things that can derail us so I've had conversations with my mom about this a lot um, because I feel like there were so many times I went to a Christian school, a small Christian school, and there were so many times where in the dining hall you would be eating and the person next to you with the person across from you would just have this argument about some random theological thing. Mm. And I would always be just so angry that it would just be so divisive. And I would talk to my mom and I'd be like, I like how what how am I supposed to be on one side or the other of this? Mm -hmm. And how am I supposed to, you know, converse about this in the right way? Mm -hmm. Um and she gave me great advice when she was like, Okay, you know what the gospel is. You know what you need to be saved. Like he makes it very clear. He spells it out in scripture. That is the main thing. All of the other things, it is great to talk about. It is great to have theological discussions, but there is a line between it being helpful to your walk and um, it not being helpful mm -hmm. to your walk. Mm -hmm. And so for me, a lot of the times, I'm happy to have those discussions with people. And I think it's really good to have those deep theological discussions. But that's, you have to keep in the back of your mind, that's not necessary for you to be with Jesus. Mm -hmm. hmm. That's good. Kind of to Katie's point, I also went to a small Christian school and it was wonderful. Some of my best friends that I have made in life so far, I'm still in touch with today. And, but most everybody on campus was a professing Christian and it was a smaller school. So it was very easy to get to know people and also to have theological discussions. And many of us came from very, very different denominational backgrounds. And it was very easy for us to get in for a lack of a better term. It was easy for us to get in fights with each other. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and um, I remember one time I was in the cafeteria and I started chatting with this guy and out of the blue, he started ranting about this one particular end times doctrine that I had never even heard of. Hmm. And I'm just trying to have a conversation at breakfast. <laughs> I had not had my coffee yet. And I'm thinking, what do I say? <laughs> mm -hmm. I mean, he's very up in arms about this. I mean, to the point where he was yelling and saying, if this famous pastor, and he would call their name, if they start teaching this doc doctrine, I'm never going to listen to them again. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And um, I started to battle kind of some frustrations, to your point, Katie, on some of those issues. But some books that really helped me were First and Second Timothy, because mm -hmm. it's Paul writing to um, his mentee, mm -hmm. um, to Timothy, who was a young pastor. And he said over and over again, stay away from arguments that don't produce anything. And I yeah. had to ask myself, 
sometimes it is good to have conversations about theological differences if they're mm-hmm. civil. Yeah. But if it's if the end result of this conversation is only going to be us being further divided from keeping our eyes on Christ and further divided on stuff that in the end really doesn't matter, mm-hmm. then should we really have the conversation to begin with? Why not talk about stuff that's actually going to really matter in eternity? Yeah. yeah. I've talked to my friend about this in the sense of where we've, we've both have kind of agreed that like when we all, you know, stand before the Lord, it's almost like, it's almost like God is going to intentionally have made it so that no one denomination or group is going to have all the truth in their corner. It's like everyone, you know, on the essentials, we all need to have the essentials, but you know, it's not going to be like one particular denomination is going to be like, we just got it all the way down the line. We're (laughs) good. We're good. Everyone's going to be humbled by the fact that they had, you know, some important pieces, but maybe not everything together. So that's kind of, a hopeful thought in mm-hmm. some ways on that front. But, um, okay, well, let's talk a little bit about, you know, so as questions come up, maybe it's, you know, as you're in your small group, maybe it's as you're thinking about something, certainly in our culture today, we're getting a lot of pushback about our faith and why we believe what we believe. Mm-hmm. What are some of your go-to sources um, for getting insights into different things as you're studying, as you're growing, as you're wrestling with some of the things that you come up against? Um, how do you find insight and really ensure that you're getting um, truthful biblical responses and and insights. Yeah, I actually was in a meeting recently where we talked about ones that focus endorses. Uh-huh. And so some of them that they mentioned were places like Insight for Living, Christian Research Institute, Billy Graham of Evangelistic Association, and even um, one that I've used is gotquestions.org. Oh, yeah. So mm-hmm. I think the latest I saw is they had over 700,000 questions answered. Mm-hmm. So those are a couple. Sometimes I'll even use a study Bible. Mm-hmm. Um, I've used a number of different ones in the past. Or one thing that I will even do is I'll look at different translations of the same scripture sometimes yeah. and yeah, do some comparison mm-hmm. because languages have changed a little bit over time mm-hmm. and sometimes it's good to get a little different perspective of what does the King James say what does the ESV say or the NASB mm-hmm. say mm-hmm. so doing that has definitely helped me and um even occasionally if there's something that I just have not been able to get past there've been a number of different times where God's even used good Christian counseling in my life as mm-hmm. well yeah. if I just really was emotional about something having a good Christian counselor to go to can go a very, very long way when you are trying to sort through something. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, I've, I really enjoy the YouVersion Bible app. Mm-hmm. I think it's an incredible source just because the search bar on there, if you type in any topic, any word, any name, it to John's point, it, it will give you any and every translation of where there's a synonym of that word or things like that, uh, videos, devotionals, and uh, things like that. And I just really appreciate big companies like Focus or Life Church, places like that, that have these resources to give you a firm foundation of uh, information to lean back on. Yeah. yeah. I echo you guys because I mm. use the YouVersion Bible app a lot. Nice. Um, I personally love talking through things. That's how I kind of, in mm. my mind, get a hold of certain concepts. So I will usually go to a pastor, um, my parents, because they've been in ministry for 30 years. My dad's been a pastor for over 30 years. 
Um, and then usually, and I'll talk it through with friends who I know are on the same kind of spiritual ground that I am on. Um, because that's how I really kind of talk through my questions because some, a lot of the times I kind of already know the answer to the question. I just don't want to know the answer to the question. (laughs) Um, and talking through it really helps me understand what God is trying to tell me Mm -hmm. through other people. Um, and then usually if I still can't find an answer, going to the Bible, the version app, and then, um, I'll look at commentaries. There's Mm -hmm. some really good ones out there that I love. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah. yeah. I often, um, and again, we're actually just uh, finishing up here, um, Clergy Appreciation Month, which is October every Mm -hmm. year. And so a good opportunity to give a shout out to pastors. Hey, pastors, thank (laughs) you, um, and ministry workers. But um, I would say that historically, my pastors have been a great source Mm -hmm. for me. And it's a great opportunity to get to know your pastors and avail. I know a lot of people listening are like, well, I don't know. My, I go to a big church. My pastor seems unapproachable, but mm-hmm. you can usually call the church office and set up a meeting with yeah. your pastor, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. even for 30 minutes or they'll give you, they have a, um, a way of emailing them. If you have a question, you want to run something by them, or mm-hmm. maybe one of the elders in your church or one of the, mm-hmm. um, you know, a great um, Sunday school class teacher or teacher within the church is a good resource too. And then sometimes there are some sites out there that I'll often go to that I know publish good stuff and have availed themselves of good theologians. So like the Gospel Coalition would be Mm -hmm. one for me, Desiring God. I like using that Mm -hmm. and doing, they have very searchable ways of finding answers to questions. And I wish I could look at my search history on some of those because I have, (laughs) I have actually searched (laughs) for some pretty whack answers um, for things that have come up for various, various things. So that's kind of a, um, a fun thing to do as well. So, well, this is a great start, you guys, I think, for having this conversation and thinking through that, first of all, it is okay to ask questions. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't see anywhere in scripture where God is like, do not doubt anything and yeah. do not ever ask yeah, questions. Exactly. Um, we know even um, uh, Moses asked a lot of questions of God yeah. himself, but we know David asked questions. Um, and so, you know, we can as well yeah. and uh, do it humbly and, and see what God says. So thanks so much, you guys. Thank you. Thank you. We are here for this week's culture segment, and I am going to let you know that this is actually a two-parter, so you are going to have to come back next week for the second half of this because 
I have so much to talk about with today's guest. Uh, he is a friend of Boundless, a friend of Focus on the Family, well, largely because he works for Focus too, but um, not in Colorado Springs. Uh, I am talking about Dr. Bob Paul. He is vice president of the Focus on the Family Marriage Institute, and you'll hear a little bit more about that, um, and director and creator of the Hope Restored Marriage Intensive Counseling Program. And so, I mean, this is like, I want to say for over 20 years, there have been like 8,000 couples uh, from all 50 states and 30 foreign countries that have been helped by this program. And I'm going to give a little personal testimonial about it shortly because I had the chance to go through it as well. But he's a former professor. You're... Um, license, Bob, is in what? I'm a licensed professional counselor. He is a licensed pro Okay. And you guys know that because a lot of times here at the Boundless Show, we utilize our team of counselors here on site to answer our inbox questions on a wide range of issues. And so, Bob, welcome to the Boundless Show. So excited to be here. Love to do this with you. Love your work, Lisa. Well, this is uh, super fun. So, uh, I alluded to the fact that I attended Hope Restored, and everyone right now is like, I thought you just said this is about marriages, Lisa, and aren't you single? Well, I went largely because my boss, Greg Smalley, who's been on the show, told me to go because he wanted me to kind of get eyes and ears on what it is so I understood uh, what part of the team does and stuff. And so I went, and for four days, I sat on a couch with five couples who pretty much were near divorce. And in some cases, couples that come to Hope Restored um, have already filed papers. And so there are a number of sites around the U.S. that we have now, and, and we're hoping to even grow that further. And Bob, as I said in his bio, is one of the founders of this and one of the, I mean, are you still doing therapy as oh, yeah. part of the program? Yeah, okay. when, I, when I was blessed to come on at Focus, I made it clear to my boss that um, I needed to keep my hand in that seat because if I got to the point where I was sitting in an office and losing touch with what was happening in the trenches, because that's really where God shows up. Yeah. That's where we get to see God actually working in the lives of people in the most dramatic way. So I make it a point, I, I probably do on average about four days of therapy a month, but it's every month so that I can stay in touch. Yeah, that's good. And, you know, it's funny because I'm going to have you explain a little more. We're going to talk about some of the principles that I learned in the program because, hey, y'all, you're going to think that this is about just like marriage counseling in the sense of like what you've heard, even to the point of like saying, oh, is this like premarital where you just learn about like finances? <laughs> it's not. And that's what I was so blown away by, by attending A Hope Restored, um, because it's, it's very much different from what you may expect. And so, um, and I, I love to say that, you know, it's obviously we talk about it as a a program that is for marriages in crisis, but I would love to see every unmarried person at some point go through Hope Restored, or we're going to figure out a way to apply these principles to us here at Boundless, um, beginning with today. And so, Bob, I want to start out by asking you, you know, because I said, you know, it's for marriages, but also great principles for all of us. But what would you say, what are some of the core issues that come up over and over in intensives? When people show up and or, and you you have them do pre work, so you have a little eyes on kind of what some of the issues that they have coming in. But what are these common themes that drive people to the point of 
the marriage is literally on the rocks and they don't know where to turn. Actually, I'd like to back up if I could for just a moment. To your point, what makes this applicable to everybody is the basics that our God is a relational God. I mean, he lives in a perfect triune relationship, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, regularly, constantly in perfect unity. So uh, what we're striving to do regularly is just learn relational principles that are the way God operates, and they apply to everybody and to every relationship. We just happen to be focused primarily on marriage. Mm -hmm. So um, the truth is that these principles really apply to everybody in their everyday relationships, in their work relationships, certainly in their dating relationships, and then when they get into marriage, in their marriage relationships. Mm -hmm. We've learned much of what we've learned working with couples in crisis and why that's been valuable. It's been kind of like a marriage laboratory because couples that are hurting to that degree are highly motivated. And it's been like a marriage laboratory. And we just have taken these, these principles that God's helped us to discover that are all his, and then realize that they actually apply even better to couples that aren't in crisis and just to people in general. So I so appreciate the fact that you're wanting to focus on not only what the principles are, but how do they apply to everybody everywhere, because they really do. Well, and it's interesting because, as you said, marriage is somewhat of a crucible for this because, again, it can be very easy for us as singles to be a little bit blind because, as I say often on The Boundless Show, I get along just fine with me, Bob. I <laughs> I think I'm amazing. And so, you know, it's when I start relating to so other people. I. <laughs> I know. It's just like, why doesn't everyone think exactly like me? It would be so much easier if people were just like, yeah, Lisa, exactly what you want. Let's just do it. And so I, I think, you know, that's where you're saying, like, all of a sudden, you know, it's a great opportunity to practice some of these principles because in marriage, you really got to take them to the mat. Now, it's interesting that you would even say that about yourself because if you going back to the question you asked me about what are some of the key places where people struggle mm -hmm. uh, usually very unconsciously one of the biggest places people struggle is that they don't have a good relationship with themselves mm. and they don't mm. they don't treat themselves well and sometimes people of faith don't because we're kind of taught uh, which I think is a bit of a problem that we're supposed to make it all about everybody else and really not focus on us because if we do, we're being selfish and self-centered, which really to me feels like a lie from the enemy. Mm -hmm. So I wish more people thought highly of themselves, treated themselves with great care and respect and responsibility because when you come in um, to a relationship and you're kind of sputtering on fumes and you treat yourself poorly and you're looking to that other person to be the one to make that better for you. Mm -hmm. It's an immediate setup for struggle in the relationship because you're putting the responsibility in the wrong person's hands. Yeah. So that's one of the biggest things that we uncover that people don't necessarily come in thinking is the core of their problems. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because now that you just said that, now I realize, oh yeah, no, I resonate with that too. So maybe I've got a dual. <laughs> maybe I don't think I'm that great <laughs> just some of the time. Anyway, so yeah, because there's a lot of struggle in, in that space too. Well, I want to move into a couple of the um, the principles and the learnings and some of the illustrations that you use throughout the course of an intensive. And one of these is the a continuum kind of that where I had written down in my notes, um, um, safety, moving towards openness, moving towards intimacy. And a lot of people assume like, well, I got 
I got married. So obviously like intimacy is just going to show up or this is just going to happen or God's going to like give it to us or whatever uh, without having to do any work. And I love how, because so many couples to your point will show up and they tend to think that there is a problem that just needs to be solved. And it's usually the fact that someone has brought to the table infidelity, pornography use, some kind of issue. And if we could just clean that up and fix it, it's going to fix all the brokenness in our relationship. And one thing that you say in in conjunction with the whole safety, moving towards openness, moving towards intimacy, is you are responsible for your physical, emotional, spiritual, and mental health. And kind of talking about safety too, two statements I heard you make. You'll never feel safe to stay until you feel safe to leave, and you'll never feel safe to say yes until you feel safe to say no. And safety is a big theme within the within the intensives, and I would love for you to define safety, what this means, because again, this whole this whole idea of like being responsible for ourselves, I think a lot of people are like, isn't that why we get married so that we can put some of this off on another person or share the load, air quotes, whatever. So talk to us a little bit about safety and how that applies in relationships and in showing up in that way. Well, I'm glad you started there because safety really is probably the most foundational core principle that we want to talk about. And unfortunately, if you ask the average person in a relationship, do they feel safe? The first thing that they're going to think about and evaluate that against is, do I feel physically safe? Mm -hmm. Do I feel that that person's going to hurt me physically, take advantage of me physically, damage me in some way, dishonor me some way? Which, of course, we believe that is of critical importance that you would feel safe physically. But in reality, we are talking about safety in a far broader scope. We're talking about safety mentally. Do you feel that you have the freedom to share your thoughts and your ideas, even maybe half-baked ideas, without fear that you're going to be ridiculed or criticized or or, or really made to feel stupid and humiliated? Mm -hmm. Um, So that we want that level of safety to be there. Safety spiritually. Uh, It's amazing how many people don't feel safe praying with people that they care about. Hmm. Couples, amazing how few marital couples don't pray together. And it's such a powerfully important component of a Christian's walk because I have an individual relationship with the Lord. My wife has an individual relationship with the Lord. Those are life-giving and essential. However, when we got married, we have a together relationship with the Lord. And then in the other people in my life that matter to me that are believers, I have relationships I have a reason with God that I can share with them, that I can enter into that that place where two or three are together and we are praying together that the Lord is there and that he hears. And it's such an incredibly important part, but it's so vulnerable to open yourself up spiritually, to let somebody know about your journey with Christ mm-hmm. and that sort of thing, to be into that, to know where you're being challenged and where you feel the Lord is is prompting you to grow. That feels very intimate. And if you don't feel safe that you can share that without fear of it going bad for you, you're not safe there. Mm -hmm. And last but not least is emotionally safe. We have so many unfortunate wrong beliefs about feelings and about the importance of feelings. You know, and I'll ask people regularly, so who created feelings? And they pause and they think about it and they go, well, 
I guess God. Well, you bet he did. God created feelings, all of them, on purpose, with purpose. And feelings are just meant to be, in God's design, morally neutral data. They're meant to be the information about what's going on with us, what we want, what we feel, what we're struggling with, that our brain, then the other part, can interpret and utilize that data to make good decisions that we can then carry out with our hands. So it's a heart, head, hands kind of a thing. And because we've viewed certain feelings as too much, wrong, bad, untrustworthy, we have a tendency to ignore them, even though they're a critical component. So to be able to share those with another person without being told your, your feelings are wrong, or you, boy, you're too emotional, or you're whatever, mm-hmm. that your feelings, you know, get, you need to get over it by mm-hmm. now. I mean, how long are you going to feel that way? To not go there are... Um, and be able to be honored for how you feel and recognize the value and importance of it is what goes into feeling safe that way. And to your point, what we've realized is that people um, are all built to long for intimacy. Mm-hmm. And guys, we we view intimacy not necessarily to mean sex. I mean, certainly that would be a form of intimacy, but unfortunately that is where it commonly goes in many people's head. When we're talking about intimacy biblically, it's the journey of getting to know each other in deeper and deeper ways over time. The journey of knowing or being known. Biblically, the the Hebrew term is yada, Y-A-D-A, and it means to know in a deeper and deeper way. Well, we all were built by God to long for that. We all want to connect deeply with people. Um, So sometimes people will try to make that the goal. Wrong target to shoot at. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I mean, you can go to a you can go to a bookstore, you can go on Amazon and find oh, a million different books on how to create intimacy. If that's your goal, it's a waste of time. Mm-hmm. Even if I was one of the authors, waste <laughs> of time. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, the next thing that people shoot at, which is also the wrong target, is to try and get their heart open. Mm-hmm. Because you know, people really naturally get that uh, intimacy at its core is an open heart to open heart connection. So it would make sense that I either need to get my heart open or your heart open or both. And oftentimes we're using what I call the crowbar approach, which is like trying to pry open a manhole cover while you're standing on it. You know, there's a part of you that wants to be open, but there's another part that goes, you know, that's just dangerous. Last Mm -hmm. time I opened my heart, I got hurt. So what we say is skip those two and instead put all of your focus and attention and energy into making it safe physically, mentally, spiritually and emotionally. Uh, for you and the other person, because when you feel safe, you will naturally relax and open your heart because openness actually takes less energy to maintain than any other state of being. And when two people with their hearts wide open are in close proximity to each other, intimacy happens just like that. Hmm. It takes no effort. It's the easy way. It's the short course. But if you don't focus on safety, you're making it hard. Yeah. And it just seems to me, too, because, you know, kind of a caveat for Christians and in in some cases Christian couples is um, whether this comes under spiritual or or not. I'm not sure. But this idea of where scripture itself is used against people Mm -hmm. in relationships where, you know, well, doesn't God say this? I mean, we hear conversations around uh, the definition of submission for this reason or the definition of honoring one another. and, And it just becomes this, well... You know, if you're if you're going to be a good wife or if you're going to be you, you know, as a good husband, you should be this. And we put these tags of good on and then end up filtering through our own assumptions rather than truly 
going to scripture and within you know Christian community and like you said having safety uh, moving towards intimacy in the background I think that's where there's a lot of uh, a lot of problematic yeah thinking. well and unfortunately to your point we we can easily use scripture as a weapon mm-hmm. or as a tool to control and manipulate people and circumstances to get what we want. Yeah. Um, and it really is a good thing for any of us as believers to check our motives. Yeah. And um, what I want to ask myself is, um, do I really trust the Lord to be in charge of this? So let's say in my marriage, okay, and anybody who is interested in having relationships, whether they'd have a marriage or just dating or just want to have a relationship, this is, this is a good thing to learn. When I got married... I saw all sorts of things in Jenny, my wife, that um, I really thought could use improvement. And uh, I, for many years, yes, I, for many years, became the self-appointed uh, Holy Spirit helper in the Perfecting Jenny Project. Mm-hmm. And uh, nobody, neither Jenny nor the Lord, actually asked for my participation. Shocking. And Jenny, um, Jenny at one point got so frustrated with me always meddling in her business, trying to perfect her, which, you know, I'm thinking, but hey, I got some ideas. These would be really good. You'd be so much better that she literally put a three by five card on the on the refrigerator that said, God's got me oh. basically <laughs> out of my business. But that didn't stop me uh-huh. until the Lord busted me. Hmm. And he challenged me hard. And he basically said, Bob, do you think that I'm not capable of managing my daughter without your assistance? Hmm. And I went, I mean, my first response was, yeah, but I got some great yeah. ideas, God. But <laughs> he really didn't let that go. And he said, Bob, I need you to focus on you mm-hmm. and let me and Jenny manage Jenny, hmm. which included using scripture because mm-hmm. I could, you know, my motives were not pure mm-hmm. and they were not honoring God. And literally, he basically said, okay, I'll tell you when it's okay. I'll give you permission. Mm -hmm. Um, When you look at the dirt on your plate and on her plate, it'll be okay with me for you to get into her business the day your plate is 100% clean. (laughs) And I paused and I said, okay, I hear you, which will not be this side of heaven. (laughs) I I got my marching orders. Okay. (laughs) Unless she or he invites me in, I need to keep my focus here. Okay. Well, that is a great um, segue into another question I have for you that is around the concept of boundaries. Mm. Okay, so boundaries, the, just the mention of that term sends me over the edge because no matter how many things I've read on it, sitting in Hope Restored, talking to other counselors, I just do not understand it. And you actually, you made this statement and you have made the statement, boundaries are for you, not the other person. You have got to explain to us what in the world does this mean? And give an example of that playing out in a relationship. Okay, so the first thing I got to say is that I've learned everything worth learning about boundaries um, from my wife, the boundary ninja, is what I like to call her. (laughs) And everyone was a boundary she set with me that I absolutely despised when she did it. I thought she was being unrighteous and uncaring. And God, again, continually showed me, uh, you know what she did? That was good. And I want you to learn to do that and do that with others Hmm. and teach others to do that. Mm -hmm. So what Jenny helped me to see, because it didn't feel like it at the time, was that when she was setting boundaries, she was actually doing that to uh, steward the responsibility that God had given her to care for the temple, her temple, 
God's temple. Mm -hmm. That was her being. Mm -hmm. And that is the primary charge that each of us have. I am responsible for this temple. Mm -hmm. And I I mistakenly have thought at times, this is mine. I can do what I want with it. This is not mine. Mm -hmm. I was created by him. He repurchased me with his life. And this is his possession. Now, I get the privilege of living here with him, but he, he is counting on me to care well for this temple. So boundaries need to ultimately about caring for yourself. So what does that mean? Okay, when people get put off, when they get hurt, when they get scared, uh, offended, whatever, uh, I look at it this way. We have two doors to our heart. We have the top door, which connects us to the source, our Lord. And we got the front door that connects us to others. So when we get put off or scared, what do we do? We naturally go, and we clamp down both doors to protect us from out here. And also to, uh, unfortunately, we cut ourselves off from the source. And we don't realize it. And when people have been through a trauma or a difficult time, so often they'll say, so where was God? It's like he abandoned me. But the reality is God never left them. It's just they close the door and he's standing at the door. He'll knock gently. He's such a gentleman. He'll never force himself in. But unless we open the door, he's not there. But if we open the door, he won't hesitate. So the goal of a righteous boundary is not to manipulate and control another's behavior, but to create a space that enables our heart and our spirit to remain open. That's taking care of us. That's keeping us connected to the Lord so that then we can bring our best self back to any other relationship we're in. So let me give you an example. So let's say that I do something legitimately off and it it pushes one of Jenny's buttons and she starts to yell at me. Mm -hmm. Um, Even if I deserve it, I've noticed that what happens is that my heart will immediately start to close, which doesn't put me in a good place. But taking care of me is about figuring out how to get to a space that enables my heart to reopen. So a good righteous boundary will always include two different components. Number one is a request. So I might say to Jenny, hey, I'm aware I'm shutting down. It won't be good for me or you. Any possibility, you'd be willing to not yell. Now, for it to be a request, no must be an acceptable response. Because truthfully, Jenny has a God-given right to yell. She wasn't given the power to make that go well for her, but she has a will and she's free to use it at her discretion. Mm -hmm. So she might either keep yelling, which is saying no or say no either way. Mm -hmm. Now, I have a God-given responsibility to care for my heart and my temple. So step number two is to have a contingency plan. Mm -hmm. What do I do in the event she doesn't honor my request? Well, at that point, I probably need to get out of Dodge. Okay, pull back. But why I'm leaving is what makes the difference between righteous and unrighteous in a boundary. If I'm leaving to teach her a lesson, if I'm leaving to punish her, there's nothing righteous about that. If I'm leaving to get my heart back open so that I can reconnect to God, be well cared for, and then bring my best Bob back to the equation, that's what makes it righteous. Mm-hmm. And I noticed that Jenny would do that. Mm-hmm. but she, And it always felt like she was trying to control me. And she'd say, Bob, why do you keep making it about you? This is not about you. I'm taking care of me. And she was right. And I now see it. And that's what made it effective. Wow. Yeah, so good. I mean, such a good illustration of that. And it's helpful. It's empowering because it gives you exactly what you can do. You're not saying you need to become this or you need to do this in order to 
fill me or to uh, to solve this or whatever. Too often we jump in and try to accomplish the things that God's telling the other person to do. Yeah, and, of... God, and God wants us empowered. Mm-hmm. And and whenever Jenny would do things that upset me, I would always go to her and want to talk about two things. What she did I didn't like and what I wanted her to do differently. Right. And in reality, <laughs> what when God challenged me on that one, it was like, okay, so who do you see is, is causing the problem? Well, of course, Jenny. Yeah. And who has the keys to the solution? Well, Jenny. So who has all the power? Yeah. Well, Jenny. Yeah. And how did she get it, Bob? Well, I guess I gave it to her. And I thought, that's really dumb. He said, Bob, I didn't give you the power to give it away. I gave it to you to use responsibly. Hmm. All right, folks. Well, this is going to give us an opportunity to come back next week um, because we're going to continue this conversation and we are going to talk about a few things, including what we call the reactive cycle. So uh, Bob alluded to buttons being pushed and reactions, what that looks like, how to uh, apply the reactive cycle and understand that, as well as how to not lose yourself in a relationship, Um, a, a whole thing that he talks about called heart talks, what it looks like. So just going deeper in communication, loving one another, understanding who you are in a relationship as you show up. And so uh, you willing to come back next week, Bob? I'm excited about it. All right, we'll do it. Um, Folks, I also want to make sure that you know that um, we have got a book uh, that Bob has written, basically, called Nine Lies That Will Destroy Your Marriage and the Truths That Will Save It and Set It Free. And we want to make this book available to you. You're going to think like, oh, okay, well, it's a marriage book. But again, so much of what we're talking about here, this is great to just have in your arsenal of learnings as you are working through relationships of any kind. And so go to boundless.org. Search for 769. That's this week's episode. And you'll see the book cover there. Just click on it. You give a gift to Boundless for the stuff that we're already doing to support you as a young adult in your journey towards maturity. And we will send a copy of this book to you as our thank you. Um, And so you can go ahead and do that today. Well, last segment of the show, it is our inbox. And often, as those of you who are regular listeners know, we bring in one of our counselors to answer your questions. And so this week we have counselor Glenn Lutchens. Hey, Glenn. Hi, Lisa. (laughs) All right. Well, we have a question from one of our guys this week, and uh, this is a good one. In fact, often, you know, those of you who are listening, 
we hear from those of you who are now like in your 30s and you're like, oh, we just love it when you, you know, have something to say to us in particular, even though a lot of what we talk about on The Boundless Show applies to, you know, younger adults, whether you're in your 20s or 30s or whatever. But this one I think is great. And so, Glenn, uh, we will appreciate your insight here. Our listener says, I'm a Christian man in my mid-30s, and I've reached the point where I'm starting to believe that I'll never get married, even though I still desire to be. For much of my 20s, I made the mistake of assuming my wife would suddenly appear, but at age 27, I finally started being serious about keeping an eye out for a godly woman to pursue. I've been trying online dating on four different platforms, and on each one, I put in the work to craft a strong profile and have been very active in messaging Christian women across my state. For all this effort, I've only gotten a couple dates, and now I'm feeling more discouraged than ever. My identity is in Christ, and if I never find a wife, I will accept it as being part of God's sovereign good plan to conform me to greater Christ-likeness. But I'd be lying if I said the pain doesn't get to me sometimes. What hope would you offer guys like myself who desire marriage but are feeling hopeless about whether or not it will happen? Well, let me just first say that I appreciate the fact that he's desiring to be faithful to God no matter what. Mm-hmm. kind of reminds me of the verse in Habakkuk, even though you know the fig leaves do not blossom, yet I will trust in him and his desire to do that. And I'm encouraged, too, that he's starting to take some proactive steps to maybe get to meet uh, women. As far as, you know, what will happen in the future, uh, you know, that that's tough to know. Sometimes it's difficult to know when the way we would write the script is not the way that it seems to, to be coming around. It kind of reminds me of a bit of um, Nabal in the Old Testament, how he got a woman like Abigail, who was considered a very beautiful woman, very wise. You know, why does it seem to work in some situations and not in others? Mm. And and I ultimately <laughs> have no no real answer. I am reminded of uh, a couple of, of words, uh, part of a verse in Second Corinthians 6, verse 10, where Paul talks about sorrowful but always rejoicing. Uh, and a couple of um, words later in a couplet that's provided there, it also says, having nothing yet possessing everything. Um, and so when we're in that awareness and this gentleman's awareness of his desire for a relationship, his, his want for that, nothing wrong with that. Uh, ultimately, that, that other aspect of yet possessing everything. And I think sometimes we don't necessarily take the time to say, what is it that I do possess? What do I have right now in my life that's meaningful? Because if I'm always aware of the what I don't have, the having nothing, uh, or in this case, not having found a a wife, um, we can be shortchanged on what we do have. And I was thinking to myself, I wonder if which one is which one is harder to do? Mm-hmm. The awareness of, of having nothing or the, the sorrow part of it or the, the attitude of, hey, I possess a lot. And actually, I, I think both are equally important. Sometimes when we're in that first part where we're struggling with it, we may not have, uh, it may not be true remorse or, or true sorrow. It may be kind of almost a self-pity, which is not really what it, I think it's talking about. So having that true awareness of what am I feeling, but then also recognizing that there, there is truth beyond that. I do have a lot. And, and living in that confidence, I think, can be very important. Yeah, yeah, that's good. It is so true. I mean, there are just two thoughts um, that I have here. And I know I've thought of this in singleness, too, as I've had to reconcile, like, well, how am I feeling? 
feeling now with it's almost like crafting my story or putting myself a few years in the future and saying, as I look back, do I want to look back on a a span of years where I was so wishing those years away or mm, wishing my right. current circumstances away that I didn't stage, enjoy where right. I was and, right. and glorify God right where I am. And so I would encourage this guy to to dig in right where you are mm. and be about what you're about. Um, yeah. Find, you know, ways to serve, find ways to grow. And I think you'll get a lot of joy out of that while still being hopeful because yeah. it's okay to still be hopeful. Um, and then also, I would just say on a practical standpoint, I'm so like puzzled by you saying, you know, I did, I'm on these platforms and I'm trying to find someone. So I would just encourage you, if you haven't already, get some objective eyes maybe on what you're doing online, as well mm-hmm. as just maybe you can ask some good questions of some trusted friends and mentors who could maybe help you think through like how you're going about this and maybe even pray with you um, towards this end. I think that would be a great way to feel like you're not so isolated in this journey, but Mm. get some good encouragement along with you too. So Glenn, thanks so much for weighing in with that. And especially as a a man, you know, weighing in with encouragement, Mm -hmm. because I think a lot of times, you know, women are like, hey, rah, rah, good. Mm -hmm. But sometimes guys just need another guy to encourage them too. So continue with the faithfulness to the Lord. And I can't promise what's going to happen, but going God's way is always the best. Yep. And the good thing is he already knows what that is. Yeah, so right. Absolutely. <laughs> we can we can speculate, but God knows. So be encouraged by that. Well, folks, um, I always love it once in a while to give a little uh, shout out and remind you that we love it when you are willing to review the show for us on Apple Podcasts. And I just read a few awesome reviews the other day that were so encouraging about the ways that The Boundless Show uh, has met needs, has answered questions, has given new community. And we love to hear that. And so those of you who haven't left a review yet, if you could do that, just hop over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review. It's how other folks learn about the show and can join our community as well. So um, please do that right now, right now, before you do anything else. (laughs) In the meantime, I will see you around next week. I'm Lisa Anderson for The Boundless Show. The Boundless Show is a production of Boundless.org. Focus on family. 